You are listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2309 North Broad Street. For more information, check out circleofhope.net or join us in person on Sunday evenings at 5 and 7 p.m. Now, I'm going to tell you two synopses, as it were. I was going to say synopses. Synopses. Um, and I want, I'm, the challenge is to follow along with me because this is, there's no movie. There's not even like a video clip where I can depict this. Because I, I watched two movies um, over the last several years that greatly impacted my answer to the question at hand today. Okay? How do, you, how do I relate to people of other religions and why grow the church? Somehow, the, the, uh, those two are connected in my mind somehow, and maybe they are or not, are not for you. Okay? So this is, I'm working with this idea today. And some movies helped me understand uh, how to answer this. Okay? So I'm going to explain a few films here. Um, first one, there's uh, Salmon Fishing in the Yemen. Here we have Ewan McGregor, by the way. And the other movie that's coming up, just so you know, has Liam Neeson in it, okay? So some of you know, some of you know them as Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon Jinn. Just the, yeah, well, yeah, we don't, yeah, I mean, we'll leave the prequels alone for now. They're a very, we could talk a lot about them, some of us. So here's Ewan McGregor. Love Ewan. People love Ewan? The rest of you are neutral on Ewan. No, I, I hope no one dislikes Ewan. <laughs> anyway, I love the movie. It's six years since its release. So I'm going to spoil it for you. Because I believe there's a statute of limitations on these things. It's a wonderful movie of love and faith. But it's, and, and it starts with a fishing expert. Or maybe just a fish expert. Played by Ewan here. His, he's Alfred Jones. And his financial advisor, Harriet, calls him to tell him about a Yemeni Muslim sheikh who wants to bring salmon fishing to Yemen. Alfred thinks it's ridiculous because Yemen doesn't have the environment to sustain salmon. But he talks with Harriet, and his boss pressures him, and he thinks, this is going to be like a dark mark in my career. I might resign. But his wife insists because they need the money. So he goes and he does it, right? He tries. The sheikh thinks that the fishing itself will deepen the faith in Yemen in general. I've never been fishing. Um, but it, in, somehow in my mind, it makes sense that fishing leads to deeper faith. But I don't really know how it, could, it like, technically does. But I have an idea, like, yeah, hanging around on a boat for a while, hoping fish come to you. Yeah, the whole Bible is full of Jesus helping people fish, stuff like that. There's like a major theme. They're fishermen, they're Lake of Galilee, the whole thing. Just, check, just making sure we're following. So fishing has to do with some faith, I think. But he's getting resistance. Sheikh's getting resistance from people around him who thinks he's, he's influencing Islam with Western stuff. So there's some people that are suspicious of this whole thing. And at the same time, Alfred is getting resistance because, because this idea seems remotely, uh, seems remotely rational. So the British government insists they don't, you know, you want to try it, we'll fund your study. You can't take the wild salmon. You have to use farmed salmon. So there's wild salmon, 
and farmed salmon. In the grocery store, wild salmon is like brighter, and farmed salmon is uh, a little bit lighter in color, has more fat to it. That's, uh, that's my extent. I know about the fish at, behind the glass. I don't know anything about the fish that swim around. So they say, use the farmed salmon. And the, 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 the sheikh fights back and says, no, that'll never work. You can't use farmed salmon. They're not going to understand the migratory patterns or whatever salmon do. They, f they swim upstream. The deal ends. No, British government says, no, it's not going to work. And Alfred resigns from the whole agency. But he wants to keep working because he thinks he wants to convince the sheikh that the project will work. And so he convinces him that it might work with farmed salmon. And guess what? It works. The farmed salmon act like wild salmon despite have nev having never been in an environment like that because something is happening within them. Then terrorists come threatened by the progress and destroy the whole project. So uh, it gets dark. And there's salmon, there's salmon uh, just dead all over Yemen, or this area of Yemen. But some of the salmon survive. And that deepens Alfred's faith. And he's totally a cynical kind of dude at the beginning. But at the end, he prays. This moment where he closes his eyes and he prays to whom or to what he's praying, I don't know. I don't think he got all, all the way to Jesus. But he demonstrates faith. And for me, that's why the movie is, is, is really wonderful. Because something happens, something that seemed metaphysical to him, meta above the physical, right? Supernatural, you could say. Um, it's a great moment. Could you follow that whole thing? I was inspired by the film because faith got into someone who was over-bureaucratized, which is what Alfred was in. And Alfred found some faith. And honestly, it is hard to come by these days. And so I honor it every time that I see it because it is not easy to have faith today or maybe in any day. So when I see it, when we, when we experience it, I, I am happy that it's happening. Because it's so easy to not have it. It doesn't require any uh, courage to not have it. Now some of you think it does require courage for me to declare my doubts to my you know, fundamentalist family. That's true, that's not what I'm saying. But you could just not even consider it. For Alfred, resting on his uh, scientific knowledge of the impossibility of this would have been enough. He found something deeper. So to answer the question, when I relate to someone of a different faith, I try to find honor and respect for the choices of my brothers and sisters who come from different faith traditions, because it's hard to do that at all. It's hard to worship at all. It's hard to adore at all. And so I'm inspired by it. And I respect the pursuit of the inevitable question that our life asks us. At some point, everyone interested in wondering about the universe, if you're interested in wondering about the universe, you have to make a metaphysical leap. There's no avoiding it. You have to have faith.
because something doesn't make sense. So if you're interested in contemplating your existence, there needs to be a, uh, what Kierkegaard said, a leap of faith that he took. What I mean is that they need to make a leap of faith beyond the concrete data and analysis that um, tries to explain our existence because it falls short. Alfred makes the leap, and so do many others, and so did I. I chose to do it with Jesus. So someone asks me, ever hear this, all, 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 aren't all religions the same? Or they come from the same kind of thing? Ever, ever hear this before? Someone says, you know, what do you, what do you say when someone asks you, aren't, aren't all the religions the same? And I think they wanted me to have like an like a ironclad refute of this question. I'm not really interested in refuting that. Um, I just tell them why I like mine. You know, here's, here's what I'm working with. Here's what I have. I tell them about what the incarnation of Jesus means to me, that God came to us in, in, in a person, what it means that death is defeated, how Jesus and his teachings inform how I live today. I talk to them about why I love Jesus. And I talk to them about why I love Jesus more than I talk about why Jesus is right. And I honor their question because it takes courage to ask that question at all. And a lot of faith to consider it. I want to make sure that I don't get too caught up in being right. Because I think humility is essential to our faith. And any good evangelist is always going to struggle between the container of her faith and the content of it. You, you, you depicting what I'm talking about? The container and the content. What holds your faith? Your faith and what holds it? One's form and one's meaning. Right? Philosophical ideas here. What's more important, the water bottle or the water that fills it? I learned about this tension, uh, the tension between these two in two two, a few ways recently. One of my favorite thinkers, here we have Richard Rohr, a gay Catholic priest who lives somewhere in the southwest, somewhere in the desert, I think, right? Anyone know more? Arizona, possibly. He wrote a book called Falling Upward. In this book, he talks about content and container. In terms of stage of life, he says the first task is to build a strong container or identity, and the second task is to find the contents that the container was meant to hold. First half of life is figuring out who you're going to be, what you're going to do, how you're going to work out your life. Some of you have uh, containers that look like homes, families. He says the first half of life you're creating your container, your family, your career, graduate schools, a nice little container you have, right? All these things that you're doing, right? And in the second half of life you figure out what to fill it. His critique is that most of the time you spend your second half of life decorating your container. You know, you're not actually filling it with anything, you're just making it look nicer. More degrees, more cars, more spouses quite possibly. Um, or you could, you might be, might be dissatisfied with your container, you blow it up. Then you try to start another one to see if you can you just spend your days making containers. You following this analogy? He, he wants us to fill the content, fill the container that we have with content. And in, in this case, I'm talking about faith.
Now here's the other movie. You got a movie and a book so far. Both, good, both positive reviews from this man. This movie, which I also recommend to you, this is Martin Scorsese. It's called Silence. Ever see this movie, Silence? Underappreciated. You probably didn't see it because it didn't succeed. Uh, it made only $25 million in the box office, something like that. And was 25 years in the making. This is the one that uh, Liam Neeson is in. You like Liam? I love Liam. <laughs> Liam's in other movies where he acts real tough. What are those movies called where he's like, oh yeah. If you ever, because you know, you don't imagine yourself as saving your children from terrorists or whatever all the time. The movie is nothing like that and it follows uh, two Portuguese Jesuit priest missionaries. They're in Japan. Rodrigue and Garupo are their names. And uh, they're looking for their mentor, Ferreira, their mentor and leader, Ferreira is his name. And as students of Christian history may know, Ferreira was a missionary to Japan who apostated, right? Now that is a spoiler to the movie, but it's also history. Okay, it happened. There's a real thing that happened. I'm not spoiling anything for you. And Rodrigue and Garupo learn of this rumor that he apostated, left the faith. They, 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 they disbelieve it. No, this can't be true. Little moment of faith there, right? The fish can't swim. The, wa the, the, the farm salmon can't work in Yemen. And Ferreira didn't apostate. So they go searching for their mentor, who has purportedly become a Buddhist and gotten married. Totally anti, kind of Catholic thing to do. Along the way, the two priests have their faith tested in a variety of capacities. They were being tortured and threatened, and they have their followers tortured and threatened and tested as well. And there's this ethical tension happening in the movie because the Imperial Japanese Guard uh, wants them to trample on a, a, fu, a fume, right? This is an old, this is a, like, a, like a square icon with like Mary or the cross or Jesus or something real Christian on it. And they're asked just to step foot on it, to, uh, to, to uh, reject, to renounce their faith in order to protect their comrades. And sometimes they do that, right? They say, I need to deny my faith so that my friends aren't tortured. You dig? You're following? And they wonder, should I trample the fume or do I never deny Christ? What's the right thing to do? Do this thing to protect my brothers and sisters or never deny Christ? Interesting question. The movie wrestles with this idea and Roderick and Gruppe are often on different ends of the debate. Should I trample? Should I not trample? And in this dilemma, there are questions surrounding the importance of our words and material objects. They call into question the, uh, you might say, the confession and the sacrament. The forms are filled with meaning. The containers are filled with content. And the tension above allows one to wonder, how important are the forms of my faith? How important is the container of my faith? How important is the container versus the content of the container? Right? This is a question we're thinking about as we're thinking about this whole idea of other religions and sharing our faith. Does one actually renounce one's faith when he steps, when she steps on a fume? What is the metaphysical significance of the container? 
And I love the tension here because I cannot divorce content from container very easily. Right? I can't just say the water is important, the water bottle isn't important. It's not that, it's too simplistic for me to do that, right? I appreciate the faith, right, of the Muslim cleric earlier because it's so easy not to have faith. But what does that say about the, con the container of mine? I still think it matters. It's too ethically convenient and philosophically convenient just to say the container doesn't matter, the content matters, right? Do you follow on that? You could believe that. I just, I think it kind of cheapens it a little bit. Now, maybe you disagree with me and say, no, it's just arbitrary. And at the moment when one does, the film challenges it. The people torturing the Japanese believers and the Portuguese priests are well aware that trampling isn't a big enough punishment. They're on to us. They'll just trample the image. They don't really believe it. Whatever. Let's get them. Let's, let's, it's easier to tramp, trample on a fume than it is to renounce one's faith with words or do something more disrespectful. So let's up the ante a little bit. Let's make it more intense because you can just step on this image. I'm going to make you say something. In one instant when the convert readily tramples the torturers and asks him to spit on the image of Jesus and declare the Virgin Mary is a whore. Something real. Something real heinous like that. That would be a real violation to them. This intensifies a significantly intense situation where they're ready to kill the people that are around them. And the convert ends up being martyred because he refuses to do so. And the container then has clearly some significance. There's a moment there where you're, you push me hard enough and you say, no, you say this. And you say, I can't. Because the container means something. This too graphic so far? Is anyone, is everyone okay with how this is going? It doesn't get better. Roderick finally <laughs> encounters his old mentor and teacher, Ferreira. And sure enough, he's in a different form himself. Ferreira has a different form, different container. And the question is whether his content is different. Ferreira dramatically apostates, and he grows eventually against his self-condemnation for doing that. And he asks questions of his old faith and his old technique, even of evangelism, of uh, being a missionary. And Ferreira questions the form of Christianity itself and the expression of it in Japan. Can we ever have a Christian Japan? And he concludes that it's futile. This is Ferreira. The apostate that they're looking for is now a Buddhist and married. Liam, as it were. He concludes that it is indeed futile to plant seeds in the barren soil of Japan. And he believes Christianity will not bear fruit in that country and never has. And Rodrigue tries to point out times that it did work, times that it did grow and expand, but he's mistaken, according to Ferreira. The people in Japan lack the vernacular, the vocabulary, the words to even uh, sustain Christianity, is what Ferreira argues. And he goes, uh, he doesn't go so far as to make the simplistic argument that Christianity is just a Western construct, popular idea. Again, too simplistic, kind of like throwing away the container and not the content. Such a cliched response. But it does pose an, it pose an interesting problem for the evangelist. Effectively, Ferreira argues that the syncretism, that is when you mix a culture with a faith, familiar with this idea? The syncretism between Japanese Buddhism and Christianity created a sort of new religion. And it's a religion where the Japanese have invented their own deity and even their own conception of the Son of God. They even call God something else. And Ferreira points to the sun to show vastly different understandings of theology. 
To the Japanese, he says, the sun or the sun rises daily. And to the Jesuits, it rises on the third day. To the Japanese, it rises on the third day and the fourth day and the fifth day. It rises every day. That's, that's how far off they were. These distinctions make the rigid structure of the church one that would make such things as trampling a fume, a non-negotiable absolute moral wrong. Right? They challenge this idea. The tension for me then is, and what's the most appealing thing about the movie, was what's our faith? What is our faith? What is the content? What container can it go in? How can we express it? How can we adapt it so that it is more palatable to another culture? This is the question I always have when, because I'm, I'm a, I would call myself a missionary of sorts in Philadelphia, an evangelist. I can use those words freely, you know, because I, I don't, I don't feel uh, any connotation about them. I don't know how I don't, but I don't. So some of you are the E word and the M word a little hard for you. No, I'm, I'm fine. Um, but I'm always wondering how can I be a missionary or an evangelist without being a colonist. How do I make my faith palatable, understandable, usable in another culture without just changing the culture? Circle of Hope is interested in that too. What is the content of our faith? And are our doctrines simply an expression of its container? There are significant theological implications when we divorce form and meaning. I'm not prepared to do that entirely, but I want to ask the question. What is simply a decoration on the container. The trick for the missionary, though, is how do we bring the gospel into the present with great flexibility? The question for the Japanese missionary is wondering what it means to adapt our gospel to Buddhists without um, even losing it to Buddhism. Right? The philosophical distinction there matters. And if you don't think it matters, you're your own kind of imperialist. Because you just think all the religions are kind of the same anyway. You know? You know, the, 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 the kind of the secular view of the faith can be a little patronizing to those of us who hold on to our containers as significant parts of our faith. Christianity isn't purely a Western concept. On one hand, evangelism is not then necessarily imperialism. But on the other hand, everything isn't everything, right? Form is not totally meaningless. But without enough care in considering its limits, without enough care in considering the limits of our form, of our container, of what we call Christianity, without enough care in considering those limits and where it can flex, evangelism may be totally ineffective, as was the case in what Ferreira described, the Japanese version of Christianity. Or it could just be spread through a conquest, violence, cultural imposition, which would lead to it being outlawed if the authoritarian powers were threatened by it, right? There's a problem there, too. So I've set up two ideas here, that there's value in faith, right, in Ewan McGregor's faith, what you might call the content. We value the faith, or I value the faith, because it's so easy to just be, uh, it's, it's so easy to just be cynical. But the container it's that, it, that faith finds itself in for the Christian or for anyone is not totally arbitrary. 
I can't reduce the containers that hold faith to simply cultural expressions. And I think that undoes the genuine revelation that God gives a Muslim, for example. If you just say, no, your faith, your container is just a cultural expression. All the content's the same, aren't all the religions the same? Well, a lot of people don't think they are. So I'm not ready to just blur it all together because it's easier for my kind of Western postmodern mindset. People think they have a genuine revelation. So I honor their faith, and I have no problem sharing mine too. So then why, why grow the church? We could just be happy with each other as we are. You know, I'm much less interested in answering questions of salvation and afterlife when I think about evangelism. Because I think Jesus effectively warns us about against making such judgments. But I do live in the present moment, and I've, uh, I've hitched myself to Jesus in the circle of hope. What was the saying we came up with earlier? I've, hi I've, I've hitched myself to Jesus in the circle of hope. Practically speaking, it's helpful for me to have specificity to, di to direct my, uh, my passion. I also believe I've been put in a time and place by God, and God is giving me something specific to do. I am less interested in knowing if I'm right and more interested in doing good. I say this a lot. I say this a lot. But I'm interested in growing the church because I believe in the mission and vision of Circle of Hope. It's a more detailed and specific container that holds my faith in the great container of Christianity. And there might be other people doing great things. I'm not that interested in competing with them. I'm not very interested in making everyone, everything the same. But I have a specific thing that I'm doing. You know, we're involved in God's project of making the world right. And I know that's how God is using Circle of Hope, and I think God can make the whole world, including the individuals in it, right, too. God is making the whole world right. God is making all things new. It's a little bit about how Paul is describing it in 2 Corinthians 5. Alex, will you read it out loud for us? From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view. Even though we not once knew Christ from a human point of view, we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world himself, So we are ambassadors for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We entreat you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who made no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Something new is happening among us. And I think a lot of people might have a taste of it from where they are. They might have a way to express it or a way to touch it. If I see faith, I will not be quick to refute it. 
I have a specific thing that I'm doing here, part of a project, and we do need people to get in on it. And there are people looking for us and looking for you. So I share the gospel and what we're doing here, not necessarily to change everyone's mind, but to find people that are similarly moved by the Holy Spirit. Some people express their faith in different ways. I share mine to see if they're interested. And because I'm convicted about that. And I think Christians are charged with doing this. You know, all of us, not just those who name themselves as missionaries. Because we're equipped to do so in a unique way. It's elemental and crucial that we form authentic communities that can adapt to their culture without becoming their culture or making their culture or taking their culture. Peace-loving communities that willingly and humbly learn from people around them without imposing their will but model the, the uh, very nature of Jesus. That's what we're going for. That's the idea we have. So there's a lot there, right? Honoring faith considering container, talking about how sharing, sharing our faith, growing the church, does a specific thing in a time and place, right? To fulfill a, uh, a, a mission and vision that we have together. That's the, that's the idea I'm working with. And I hope it, it lends itself to some of, uh, some of the question at hand here. Um, and if it doesn't, we can talk about that. So let's, let's pray and do a little bit of talk back, shall we? Thank you, Lord, for, uh, for giving us a container to put our faith in, that we're not uh, charged with uh, figuring it out alone, that we can do it together, some semblance of community, some idea of specificity, and even a practical, specific expression of it here. Amen. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.